situation. Okay. 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 Okay, we get started or It's more plenty of pages. The desire is that the desire is that rabbis and the Kubalan could create golems is was never an issue of dispute in traditional Jewish teaching. The famous Gemara in Sechus Sanhedrin, Samachay Yomad Beis, that tells us how a certain Amora and Baba, Rava, created an artificial human being. And by a Goyalim, that's what we mean. We mean an artificial human being, a homunculus, robot, whatever you want to call it. And indeed, the creation of many more such Golems, whether real or imaginary, has been reported throughout the centuries. So the issue here is not whether a golem can be created. The issue will be very specific, and we're going to focus on it entirely tonight, and that is whether the Maral created a golem. That's the only question that's going to interest us. Did the Maral of Prague create a golem? The Maral, of course, we were all experts now because we were in Prague. Yehudalev, the Rebbe uh, came from a very distinguished family that came from Volms. So Morales' elders all came from Volms in the Rhine Valley. Uh, he himself was born in Posen. Poznan today is in Poland. And of course, he was born, the best scholarly estimate is around 1520, but nobody has his birth certificate, so we don't know exactly when he was born. We know that he died in 1609 in Prague. Thank you very much. He was a profound and independent thinker, and uh, if, if I had to point to the greatest flaw in the trip, is that we really didn't speak a lot about the Maral, even though we were in Prague. But we can't do everything. Um, left uh, an indelible imprint on many later generations, and I think I mentioned this, on the Kotzke Rebbe in particular, and it was the Kotzke Rebbe who ordered his Talmidim, and ultimately Ger, and so on, also Koshnitsa Magid, were uh, avid readers of the writings of Maral. They had to find the first editions because it was only printed in the 16th century. Amazingly, they did. And then they ordered that it be reprinted in the 19th century. So uh, Hasidus was among the first to discover the Maral. And in the 20th century, as I mentioned, uh, Avram Yitzchak Cohen Cook in Eretz Yisrael, Rav Yitzchak Kutner of Mesif Chaim Berlin in New York, they were very much influenced by the morale and spread his teachings and 
saw to it that all his forum were reprinted even again. Now, at least initially what militates against the notion that the Maral created a golem is the fact that nowhere in his voluminous writings does the Maral ever mention the golem. So the Maral himself, even though he published many, many svarim, and in recent years even more svarim have been published, a four-volume set on Agodos, Hashas, Nowhere in his writings, even though he had ample opportunity to tell it, he could have written on the Agodas and Sanhedrin, where he talks about the Rova Bora Golem, he could have said, Rova Bora Gabri, he could have said, I also made a Golem. Maybe there's a difference between my Golem and the Golem that he created. Nothing, no, there's no hint anywhere in the writings of the Maral that he ever created a Golem. That in itself is not a fatal flaw, but at least we, we need to mention it. More importantly, no contemporary of the Maral writes that the Maral created a Golem. I don't want to get into historical method here, but primarily historical method, all historians work with what's called contemporary evidence. There are archaeologists today who say that Moshe Rabbeinu never existed. They only have one argument. The argument is, we have no contemporary of Moshe Rabbeinu who writes that I knew Moshe Rabbeinu. I personally met Moshe Rabbeinu. If you don't have contemporary evidence, you don't exist. If you're a radical historian, we're not radical historians, we're moderate historians, so we, we have the aegis of the Torah, it's good enough for us. We have our Kabbalah that Moshe Rabbeinu existed. But for a true historian, you have to have evidence. If you don't have evidence, how do I know that George Washington lived? Not because his picture is on a dollar bill. That doesn't prove that George Washington lived. I know that George Washington lived. Historians really know it's because we have documents in Washington, D.C., in the Smithsonian Institute. Documents signed by George Washington. They can be tested by radiocarbon testing. They were written in the time of George Washington. We have Gilbert Stewart portraits of George Washington. Gilbert Stewart was a contemporary of George Washington. We have newspapers that existed already in the 18th century and in the, uh, uh, particularly the 18th century, beginning of the 19th century, when George Washington was the first president. Those newspapers tell us the speeches he made, where he was, when he was in New York City, and so on and so forth. If there wasn't a George Washington, we'd have to invent somebody named George Washington because we have all this evidence in the newspapers. That's called contemporary evidence. Maral of Prague, nobody in Prague, not a Jew and not a Goy, saw the Goy. There's no one alive who's alive up to the year 1609, and there were lots of people who lived in Prague, Jews and Goyim. Nobody saw a Goy walking the streets of Prague. No newspaper reported that they saw a Goy. That's already uh, a little more important evidence. Even more important, the Maral had Talmud, the Maral had Talmudin. I give you evidence from the cemetery also. We visited the Matseva, right? We didn't read the Matseva. It's very difficult to read, but we have full copies of the Nusuf on the Matseva. It's a long Nusuf, as you saw, it was on all sides of the Matseva. If you read that Nusuf, you'll see that the Maral was an expert in this, and he was an expert in Chesed, and he was an expert in Shaz, and it lists all the Milas Tevez, the Gemilas Kasodim, the Maral, and so on. There isn't a word there that the Maral created a Gaelum. Maral, Maral had Talmidim. Uh, you were so in the cemetery, which Talmud did we look at one grave? From David Gans. From David Gans, who wrote a history safer. It's Samach David. He, he writes all about his Rebbe to Maral, what a great Rebbe, and he describes in great detail who the Maral was and what he accomplished. The Samach David doesn't know that the Maral made a girl. Okay, so. Nachman, you're free. That's the thing, Go Go upstairs. You heard this already. <laughs> you wrote it. 
right. Maybe you didn't hear it already. I don't know if I heard it. It's Ken Zion's dish. All right. How come everybody in this room knows that the Moral made a girl? <laughs> Nobody at the time in the round knew that he made a girl. So how come you know that he made a girl? The real answer is the page that you have in front of you. So I'm going to ask you to look now at the page that says Safe in the Blood's Morale. Let's read together. A Safer was published in Pietrkov in Poland in 1909. And you have the Sharblatt in front of you. Is that safe in the Flores morale? Here's a safer that tells over all the wonders of the morale of Prague. Bogi super, also, Samosin, and the Flores, Mace, Moron, Verabon, Shakovene, Agola, Tzadik, Akodosh, Gona, Gondim, Nezer, Yisrael, Vateris, Yishuoso, Mola, Eretz, Sidkoso, Guloso, Anikro, Maravni, Prague, Zechet, Tzadik, Akodosh, Asher, Hifli, Lasso, Skidolos, Vinoros, and Yedei, Agola. So here's a safer. And on the Sharblat of the safer, it tells you all about the gold. <coughs> oh, Zayn tells you about the Gulam. I'm just, I'm just giving you the sharp. Asher Bora Bekoach Chokmasa Kabbalah. The Maral created the Gulam using Kabbalah. Liloche Neged Alilas Dam. Why was the Gulam created? So here also the Sharbat tells us it was to counter blood libel. To some of the young people present who may not be familiar with blood libel. So blood libel was a terrible accusation against the Jews that begins in the 12th century and continues into the 21st century. Believe me, it's not over. We already had a case in the 21st century. Whereby usually Christians, now it's Muslims, accuse Jews of slaughtering a Christian, now slaughtering a Muslim, before Pesach, because they need the blood in order to bake matzahs. That's the blood libel. And whenever a blood libel took place in the medieval period, Nebuchadnezzar was followed by a churman. Jews died, innocent Jews died, were tortured. Many Jews were expelled from the city they lived in and so on. So in order to counter the uh, terrible blood libel, the morale had to make a good. Since this was widespread in his day, this accusation, in order to prove to the Goyim that we don't use blood and we didn't kill Christians and so on, where does the Sefer come from? A Sefer has a nichta. It wasn't published before 1909. The Maral died in 1609. As you know, we're celebrating now the 400th yard side of the Maral. This was published in 1909. So it was the three, on the 300th yard side of the Maral, all of a sudden a Sefer appeared in print that it created a girl. So what does it say? A Sefer says, Nichtali, they are going to go to Marie Katz. That's Rebitzchak Shimshon Katz, who wasn't, that's in fact the name of the son-in-law of the Maral. Chasono de Benesio, Shalom Maral, Voyosofum ba Bibliotekro Hagdola de Ir Mitz. So where was the Sefer all these years? How come we don't have it? How come, how come the Maral didn't publish the Sefer? The answer is it was a manuscript. It was in the library in Metz. Metz, you already know, was where? In Alsace-Lorraine. We weren't there on this trip. But it's today in France, east of Paris. Vachere Chubona... Uh, after Metz was destroyed in a battle, in a war, about a hundred years ago, so it would get us back to 1809 approximately. So the Jews were caught in the war, many Jews had to flee. Manuscripts and Hebrew books were in disarray in the city of Metz, and wealthy people found these manuscripts. They ended up in the 
Biblioteca Hardolo de Irmets, in the major library in Metz. Harbe Yogati, Viomalti, Achimotso Yodi Vahasi Gatokazos, and I, the editor, spent a lot of time and effort finding this Xavier, this manuscript, Kashayira Kori Bagdom. Who's publishing this? Who found this manuscript? Rebutel Rosenberg. So it's published by a Rav. His name was Rebutel Rosenberg. Not just any rabbi, but we're talking about a Dayan and a Meirat Sedek in Varsha. And you can see where it was published, published in Pietikov, and the rest is clear. Yishnas Tofrei Samachtes. It was published in 1909. Yes. I lost two customers because of that. Any club of them, they wanted to book on the tour. And I refused, I didn't want to have a fight here. I'm not taking sides. I'm only going to present the evidence. That's all. Well, I'm not going to. There was a book that was published uh, several years ago. It's available in the bookstores now as a paperback by Gershon Winkler. It's called The Golem of Prague. Gershon Wigler translated Sefer and the Flores Maral from Lushen Kedish into English. He called it the Golem of Prague. And he wrote an introduction to the book, to the translation, and I want to read a few lines where he gives a biography of Rebutel, so you know who Rebutel was. Those who were disposed to believe that the cat's document, in other words, this Sefer and the Flores Maral, ascribed to his son-in-law, the son-in-law of Maral, Rebutel Katz, is a fraud, should investigate the original publisher. Everything hangs on who was Rebutel Rosenberg. So you write, Rebutel Rosenberg was a renowned master of Torah, <laughs> a posaic, prolific author of a number of important scholarly works. Among his best-known contributions is the widely used annotated Hebrew translation of the most difficult and most fundamental Kabbalistic work, the Zohar. Rebutel Rosenberg translated the Zohar from Aramaic, which is what the Zohar is written in, into Lushen Kaidish. It gets reprinted all the time. You can go into Beagleizen and get yourself a nice three-volume set of the translation of the Zayar into Lushen Kedesh by Ernie Rosenberg. This monumental project has seen many editions published in both Israel and the United States. Roy Rosenberg is the author of a well-known commentary on the Talmudic Tractate of Nadarim, Yados Nadarim. He wrote a sefer, he's an Achron, he wrote a sefer called Yados Nadarim, on Mesechus Nadarim, and... All the Lishonos in what in, in it's either Rashi or what's ascribed to Rashi in Mesechus and the Dorim. Well, there's many other works, some of which have been continually reprinted to this day, are a sefer called Rafael Amalach. He wrote a sefer parish on the Torah called Pre Yehuda. He wrote a sefer called Yaukla Novi, all the passages in Shas and Medrash on Novi. He wrote a sefer called Maor Chashmal, which is one of the first Svarim to discuss the halachic status of electricity. Can you put lights on on Shabbos or Yontif? Can you turn them off on Shabbos or Yontif and so on? You wrote a sefer called Mikveh Yehuda on how to construct a mikveh in your house. And especially you have to realize he was writing at an early stage, the 1900s, for Canada, for the United States. It was a tremendous shayla. There were a lot of places that didn't have a kosher mikveh, so he wrote a sefer, how to make a kosher mikveh in your own house. Uh, not in your own house, at least for your community. And so on and so forth. Rebuta Rosenberg was born in Poland. He was known as the Eloy of Skadershev, Talmud Chotham. He studied with some of the greatest, Rabbonim, and he got his first smichas when he was 16 years old. 
Ultimately, you get smicha from Rav Shneir Zalman of Lublin, of Bezdin of Lublin, later settled in Eretz Yisrael, Yushalayim, from Yechiel Meir Halevi of Ostrovsa, and from Zenvil Klapfish, one, Klapfish, one of the great Gainim in Warsaw. At age 25, Rebutal Rosner was appointed head of the Bezdin in Batrel, Poland. Eventually, uh, he went from there to Warsaw, where he sat on the Bezdin when he published his Sefer in 1909. In 1913, he left Poland and settled in Toronto, Canada. I don't know if we have any Canadians here. In Toronto, Canada, he founded a yeshiva, which still exists, called the Eitz Chaim Yeshiva. That was founded by <coughs> Rebuta Rosenberg. And then he moved from Toronto in 1919 to Montreal. In Montreal, he became the uh, head of the Vada Kashrus in Montreal, became the head of the Vada Rabonim in Montreal. He was the Choshev in Montreal until his death in the year 1935. The credentials of this serious scholar make it appear highly unlikely, writes Gershon Winkler, that his publication of the Katz document might be a mere fabrication. So, according to Gershon Winkler and his introduction to the Golem of Prague, that this is a serious work written by none other than, uh, edited by Revula Rosenberg, who found the manuscript by the son-in-law of the Maral of Prague, and the son-in-law was present when the Gerdlin was created. He was a close associate, of course, of the Maral of Prague, and everything he writes in the Sefer about how he created the Gerdlin, all the st- stories about what the Gerdlin did after he was created, and how the Gerdlin was put to death at, ten years after he was created, all that's described in Sefer Niflois Maral. This is the Sefer that was published in 1909, it became a bestseller upon publication. It was translated into German, into French, into Yiddish, into English, immediately upon publication. <coughs> the whole world learned about the Gaelic of the Moral in many different languages. A man by the, by the name of Gustav Meyrink, a Czech, Jewish Czech writer, wrote a novel based on this story. Many others wrote novels on the basis of the Gaelic. Plays were written on the Gaelic and produced all over Europe. Eventually, some of the first movies that were made, you may have seen some old Yiddish movies, they have stories about the Goylem. This caught on. You might have noticed in Prague, there were many Goylems for sale. Little Goylems, uh, it's uh, a major industry in Prague today. Okay. Is that cat safer still available? The one that was yeah, the Sefer gets reprinted very often. You're not the original. It's very hard to get a first copy, a 1909 copy, but you can get... No, I don't mean his. I mean the one that this is supposedly... Not this Rosenberg. Is He's supposed to be basing it on a, on a, on a, on a manuscript. Right. This, this manuscript was published in 1909, and uh, the first edition is a rare collector's item, but after 1909, it was reprinted many times. In Yiddish and many other... I'm asking about Rabbi Katz. What about Rabbi Katz? That, in other words, the same for that... The son of the son of the son of the Maral. The son of the That is still available. This is the book. This is the book. This is the manuscript by the son-in-law. So he just reproduced it. He just reproduced it. He didn't is there a manuscript? Might be the better question. Right. No one has ever seen the manuscript. Thank you. Oh. <laughs> That's, That's the question. All right. I'll, I'll, I'll sweeten it a little by saying the following. Call our cover to David Ben Gurion. A committee came to David Ben Gurion, to David Ben Gurion, right after the Holocaust and after the, the state of Israel was created. Everybody in this room was the benefactors. Nobody more than, than the Russian Shiva. 
so many svarim were destroyed, so many manuscripts were destroyed, so many libraries were destroyed, you know, and, and, you know above and beyond all the life that was destroyed. Uh, we lost endless Torah. Anybody knows about Rabbi Nachum Zemba? We lost uh, Rabbi Nachum Zemba. Mm-hmm. spent his whole life writing a parish on the, on the Mishnah Torah of the Rambam, among the many items destroyed in the Holocaust. Very, very sad. So uh, a committee came to him of Choshuva people, mostly historians, but uh, rabbinic scholars as well, and they told him, uh, this can't happen again. And now that we have uh, modern technology, microfilms, it is incumbent upon us to to uh, make a microfilm of every Hebrew manuscript in the world. And a co- that microfilm will, depo- will be deposited in Yerushalayim, so that in one place in the world there will be a microfilm copy of every manuscript in the world, wherever it may be. So chas there'll be another korban, there'll be other ex- expulsions and destructions of Jewish places. Before everything gets lost, this time we can preserve all the manuscripts. And believe it or not, though, Ben-Gurion said it's a very good idea, and he made sure that the Israeli government funded this project. And they created what's called Machon G'tatzlumei Kitvei Yad in Yerushalayim. A little office, a little in the National Library on the Givat Ram campus. And they have a copy of every man. They send teams, photographers with scholars to every library in Europe, to every little town, certainly to, uh, to Prague, to Frankfurt, uh, to the Vatican, everywhere. They copied every Hebrew manuscript. It's on microfilm and available today in Yerushalayim. Because of modern technology, they did even more than that. They created an index. Let's say you come to a difficult thesis. You were talking about a thesis, you were telling me that privately, or it was that to the whole island? I don't remember. Privately. Privately. Okay. Sometimes there's a thesis that's missing a line. You know, the, the, the third line of thesis doesn't fit with the second line of thesis. There's something missing there. Well, the answer is, uh, we now have the Machon Tatzlameikit Vayad. You can punch in the name of any Mechaber, if you want. There's any author, Yeritzer, in Rebjesus Chayyushtern. You want to find every Ksaviyad in the world, or you punch in Rebjesus Chayyushtern, you get a printout of every manuscript in the world, where it is, how many pages it is, the title of the manuscript, and so on, in seconds. Uh, let's say it's not the, you want Rabbi Yosef Chayyashtern, you want every parish on a semen in Shulchan Aruch, Chayyashtern Mishpat, semen Yudalat. You're learning semen Yudalat, you want to know, everybody ever wrote anything on that, every Chiddush ever said in the world history. You press a button, give you a complete list of everything that was done. So, uh, of course, I use it all the time. I, I work there, and I, whenever I have to solve a real problem like this, so the first thing I punch in is uh, I punch in uh, Niflois Maral, just for fun. I want you want to know whether this Xaviat exists anywhere, right? Punch in Niflois Maral, you'll find out that all that exists is the 1909 printed edition. There's no Xaviat anywhere in the world. Excellent. Okay, that's how it works. Or now, because of that, Talmidi Chachamim now go there, and let's say they're working on the Rashba, on the Ritva, they want to put out a critical edition, they want to know where every manuscript in the world is of, of the Ritva, let's say. Or the Meiris, or any of the forms that are printed in Eretz Yisrael, and thank God, they all go there, they all work in the same Machon, they press a button, they get a complete list of every Xaviyad, and then they sit down, they work on the Kisviyad, and they publish it. There's no manuscript in the world called Niflois Moral, and even if you change the name, there's no manuscript in the world that's been discovered that tells this story in the 16th, well, early 17th century, that is in 1609 or earlier. So it appears that, that I'm going to really give you a kitzer now because the hour is late, it appears that everything hinges on the reliability of uh, the claim of Rebutal Rosenberg. You know, was Rebutal Rosenberg an honest man? 
We believe what he's saying. That's what it boils down to. And Gershwin-Winkel says, yes, that's the answer. But I want you to look now on the other side of the page, those of you who have this farm on. And if you only have something on one side of the page, then you need a second page. Right? Does everybody have the, the back side of the page? Okay. And it should say, Sefer Choshen Hamishmat. So here's another Sefer that was published. We'll look at, now we'll read the title page together. Another paper, Sefer published by Rebuto Rosenberg, the same typeface almost. This one is also printed in Pietikov, but the date is Tuf Fresh Ayin Gimel. You can even see it at the bottom, the uh, Christian date, 1913. Okay. So this is published a few years later. Sefer Choshen Hamishmat Shel HaKohen Godol. So this is a, a Sefer on the breastplate that was worn by the Kohen HaGodol. Sefer Hazeh, Yoyer, Or, Bohir, Al-Choshen Hamishpot, Shalakohen Godol, Be'ezah, Otsar, Skulas, Hamalochim, Hunimsah. Where is the Choshen Mishpot? This Sefer is going to shed light where the Choshen Mishpot is today. Begam Nizkarkan, Mofes, Niflo, Ahafle, Befelo, Shehero, Binyan, Zeh, Agoyen HaGodol, Rabban, Shavuvne, Godol, Kodosh, Elyon, Maral, Mifrat. So, Gil Rosenberg wrote more than one Sefer on the Maral of Prague. He wrote a second Sefer on the Maral of Prague. And I will add to you the third Sefer, but we're not going to spend time on it which I'm going to now tell you and warn you, be very careful, shake well before using. He published a parish on the Godot Shel Pesach, and it sold in all the farm stores. <coughs> the Maral of Prague's parish on the Godot Shel Pesach. The Maral wrote a real parish on the Godot Shel Pesach. That's available in a separate set of Svarim. You have to make sure you get the one that the Maral really wrote. <laughs> and then there's one that was edited by Rebuto Rosenberg. So now, in the light of what we're going to hear today, it, it may be that you'll have to shake well before using Rebutal's parish uh, edition of the Morales parish on the Haggadah. But we're not going to spend any time on that. We're just going to look on the Choshen HaMishmat. So we'll continue with this. A Sefer Hazen Netak Men HaSefer Klehan Miktosh. This Sefer, uh, this story of the Maral and his miracle and so on, and this Sefer Choshen HaMishmat is copied from a larger Sefer called the Kalim of the Miktosh. Ksav Yad, and once again a manuscript. Shoyotomun bis Otsar Asforam Akisri, the royal library, Caesar's library, the Ir Habira Metz. Now it's the royal library of Metz. And who's printing it again? Rebutal Rosenberg. So again, we have Rebutal Rosenberg printing a manuscript. That's in Poland. He was Rav of Tarla, by the way. The Pnei of Shua was Rav in Tarla in Poland. Before he became Rav of Lvov, and after he was Rav of Lvov, he came to Metz, Berlin, and ultimately Frankfurt. Okay, so here's Tarla, the same place where the Peter Shua was once Rav. Ukeishonabir Lodge, now he's living in Lodge. Mechaber Svarim, Yodos Nadarim, we're all familiar with that. By the way, Yodos Nadarim, I don't know, the Rosh Hashim will have to tell me how much it's used or isn't used at Yeshiva University, I don't know, but it's used, the Sefer exists. Available in storm stores, it's <coughs> used by some in the yeshivas. Adiyom Azeh, Sharei Zohar Torah, Liyon Novi Rufot Lamalech Nivlos Maralmi Prague. So he, he already writes here. He, he's the one who edited the earlier edition of Nivlos Maralmi Prague and some others for him on the Shpola Zeda, Drosha, Dorsha Tzemer Ufishtim. He wrote a sefer on Shatnis Kolakovit on the halachos of Shatnis, one of the first. Svarim devoted entirely to the mitzvah of Shatnas because nobody was worrying about Shatnas in 1910-1920. So Rebutal was writing very wonderful Svarim. Anyway, this was edited by him as well, published in Pietikov in 1913. 
I'm now going to summarize for you in English Sefer Hoshen Amishpat in a in a few short uh, paragraphs. Sefer Hoshen Amishpat tells a story about the Maral. The Maral is speaking. It's a Ksavyad. The Maral wrote down for historical. Uh, times that everyone should always know what happened to the morale in the year 1590. In the year 1590, the morale learned that the 12 precious stones that make up the Choshen Amishpat of the Kohen Godol, and I'm going to ask you to listen carefully, even though the hour is late, I'm going to give you some detail. They survived the destruction of the Bayez Sheni, that's what it says, this Ksaviyad, and ultimately, you know, they were captured by the Romans, from Romans they were captured by other nations who destroyed Rome, and eventually they made their way to England. As a matter of fact, to London, where they were deposited in the Belmore Street Museum in London. So the Choshen Amishpat in the year 1590, according to this account, was in a museum in London. The Maral learns that the precious stones were stolen from this museum in London, and some thief now pirated away these stones, and he has them. The Maral leaves Prague and left for London where he posed as a wealthy collector of antiquities. And he put up signs and he let people know that he collects rare jewels and so on, because what he was trying to do was to locate the thief so that he could reacquire the, uh, the stones that were stolen. And indeed, he managed to make contact <coughs> with the thief, whose name was Captain Wilson. All this in the Sefer Choshen Amishpat, which, by the way, is reprinted in Brooklyn. You can buy it in your farm stores in Brooklyn. So Sefer Choshen Amishpat. Okay. This Captain Wilson was a charlatan who had ingratiated himself with the curator of the Belmore Street Museum, he used to visit it all the time. Anyway, he, he gained access to the vaults of the Belmore Street Museum, and through various kinds of intrigues, this Captain Wilson uh, managed to pirate away the 12 precious stones. Uh, once he stole the stones, they fired the uh, previous curator, and they appointed a new curator. The new curator's name was Edward, Mo Edward Mortimer. Anyway, the morale meets this Captain Wilson in a private meeting. They settle on a very steep price. Uh, morale has agreed to pay this very steep price in order for Pidyan Shvuyim, as it were, to get these precious stones back, the Choshen Amishpat, no small matter. And uh, But the morale asked for a two-week reprieve from the thief, ostensibly in order to raise the huge sum of money that he had to pay the thief. Actually, the morale used a two-week reprieve to work Kabbalistic magic, as it were, and to wreak havoc with the life of Captain Wilson. And we're not going to go into the fine details today. He turned black, uh, Captain Wilson from a white man into a black man and so on. And all kinds of strange things that he did. I'll be Kabbalah with this poor Captain Wilson. By the time the two weeks are over, Captain Wilson came to the Maral, begged him to take as a gift the Cheshire Amishpat. Doesn't have to pay anything. Just get out of my life. Get out of my hair. I don't want to see you again, which is what happened. Okay, so the morale, uh, at the end of the two-week period, uh, the morale gets the stones. The morale agrees that if he gets the stones back and he doesn't have to pay any fees, he will restore Captain Wilson to his former state. And uh, not only that, the morale advised Captain Wilson uh, um, <coughs> that he actually preferred that the precious stones be returned to the Belmore Street Museum, which is a safe place for them. And sure enough, uh, the story has a happy ending, more or less, uh, how the stones are restored to the Belmore Street Museum.
That's basically the story. This is the second part of the story. Various witnesses testify that they came to the museum, and sure enough, they were all happy to discover one day that somehow those same jewels that had disappeared had been returned to the museum. That's the Sefer Choshen in a nutshell. Now, despite Rebutal's efforts at uh, presenting this as a story that was told or connected to the morale of Prague and told by the morale of Prague, it turns out that this entire story is imaginary. Uh, as I'll be able to demonstrate in a few minutes, there never was a royal library in Metz, so he could not have gotten this manuscript from the royal... There is no royal library, and there never was a royal library in Metz, so what he writes on the title page can't be true. There was never in all of history a museum in London, not a Yamazer, that was called the Belmore Street Museum. You can check the books and record books. I did it. There's never such a museum. More importantly, Rebutal Rosenberg lifted the entire story, except for the Marl of Prague, but the whole story of how the Choshen Amishpot, the jewels of the Choshen Amishpot, were stolen from a museum in London, and the very names of the leading characters. That's why I gave you the names. We have this story. And mentioned prominently in the story is Captain Wilson and the curator whose name was Professor Andreas and the second curator who was Edward Mortimer. All these names occur for the first time in a book in English, a short story by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. <laughs> okay. And it appeared in a uh, uh, under the title The Jews, Press, Jews <coughs> Breastplate and it appeared in a magazine published in London um, called the Strand Magazine. I keep it at home. I didn't bring it with me because it's very valuable. I didn't want to lose it. My luggage anywhere. Uh, but anyway, uh, Strand Magazine, you don't believe me, you look up the record books, you'll see that it was published in 1899. When was Sefer and published? Oh, so who has priority? Arthur Conan Doyle. So it was first published by Arthur Conan Doyle. In, uh, in 1899, it appeared in book form. It's available as a short story in a collection of short stories by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle called Tales of Terror and Mystery, The Jew's Breastplate, and I'll pass this around so you can all look at it. This is a, available in any collection of the writings of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. How did Rebutal Rosenberg get this story? It's amazing. We have a, uh, a daughter of Rebutal Rosenberg, who wrote a biography, it's an autobiography, I should say. Her name was Leah Rosenberg. You should go on the internet to be able to get yourself a copy of this book. It's long out of print. She has since died. So Rebutal Rosenberg had a daughter by the name of Leah. <coughs> and Leah wrote a book called The Errand Runner, the one who runs errands, the, the Shliach, Reflections of a Rabbi's Daughter. Her father used to send her, Rebutal used to send her all the time on Shlichus to do this and that, to send messages, to, to deliver packages, to do with Yonet Stoker. So she defined her life by being the daughter of a father. The Aaron Runner, Reflections of a Rabbi's Daughter. And uh, I mention this specifically because... She was the mother of Mordechai Richler. Ah. Who's Mordechai Richler? Novelist. Sorry? He was a, a famous novelist, novelist, author from Montreal, a grandson 
of Rebuta Rosenberg, a famous novelist, notice. Right, his name was Mordechai Richler, one of the most famous, uh, what is it, Duty Kravitz. Uh, endless books. He's already gone. He's in Island MS, wherever he is. Uh, anyway, uh, she doesn't call herself the mother of Mordechai Richler. In fact, she doesn't mention his name in the entire book. She identifies herself entirely as the daughter of a famous Rav, the daughter of Rebuba Rosenberg. In case none of you ever saw a photograph of Rebuta Rosenberg, so I'm going to show you this picture that the daughter prints in the book. She prints many more beautiful pictures of the whole family. So here's Rebuta Rosenberg. You can see that he was Shimer Shabbos. Any doubts about it? I was a very chosher rub. I've met people, by the way, who were married, you know, couples who were married by Rebuta Rosenberg, and whoever knew him only has the highest regard for him. He's a wonderful rub in Montreal. His grandson used to have a Knesset. That's right, his grandson, Mayer. Ben Mayer. Ben Mayer, Ben Mayer. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. He has, he has many enikot alive today, and Talmud Chachamim, some of them. Baruch Hashem, very large family. Very, very large family. Uh, he married twice, and he had many children from his first wife, and many more children from his second wife, and so on, so there were a lot of enikot. Absolutely right. <laughs> It turns out that every story written by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, you can check the New York Public Library, was immediately translated into Russian. A rebuttal could read Russian. And we have the aegis of his daughter. That's why this book is so important. Uh, it's a vivid description of a father, a mother, etc., what it was like to uh, you know, come with a family from Poland to, to, to Montreal, to Toronto, and then to Montreal, and so on and so forth. She, uh, it's a lovely <coughs> portrait of Rebuttal Rosenberg. So in here she writes that her father told her that he was Rav of Tarlo, but he wanted to become what's called the Kajini Rabin. Yeah. What's the Kajini Rabin? The, the, the Rav Mitam. The Rav Mitam. He, he, he wanted to be not only a Rav uh, appointed as an Ovbezin somewhere, but uh, you could get paid by the government if you passed exams in Russian. So she writes in the book, my father mastered Russian so you could get a license to become an official rabbi recognized by the government as well. So he knew Russian. So it's no problem that he was able to read uh, uh, a book by Conan Doyle in Russian. On the other hand, I can assure you, I checked the records on Arthur Conan Doyle, he couldn't read a word of Hebrew. <laughs> so it can't be that there was a Ksav Yad. You know, you might say, no, it must be a Ksav Yad. Metz, Arthur Conan Doyle went to Metz and he read the Ksav Yad. No, he couldn't read Hebrew, no word of Hebrew. Um, so the answer is, of course, priority belongs to uh, to, uh, to Conan Doyle. He came first. First, in other words, this was a story written uh, by none other than uh, Conan Doyle, and uh, it was copied by Rebuttal Rosenberg. Uh, I'm going to bring home the message was an incredible passage, so this, uh, this I have to tell you. Um, remember, this is it is said by by Rebuttal Rosenberg that he found this in a manuscript from 1590, right, in Hebrew, and we had he published it the Sefer Choshen Amishpat. So I'm going to read to you a line from Sefer Choshen Amishpat that was published by Rebuttal Rosenberg. The question is, how did this thief in the story? How was he able to manage to pirate out uh, these official stones of the Choshen Amishpat? And by the way, he left, so the answer is he left replicas in their place. The theft wasn't even noticed for many months because he left others in their place. But eventually somebody checked and realized that the original stones weren't there. 
So listen to what it says. This is in the Hebrew version from the 1590 manuscript. This is Captain Wilson describing to the Maral how he was able to pirate the stones. How did I do it? Shama photographis Kitana. I brought in a small camera with me in 1590. <laughs> <laughs> it says here, <laughs> Okay, there is, he copied the English, mamish, word for word from Conan Doyle. Conan Doyle was writing the story not in 1590. The Belmore Street Museum for Conan Doyle is the equivalent of the British Museum. The whole story takes place in Victorian England when there were cameras. But uh, he left it in the... He didn't even bother changing it, updating it, to, or backdating it, if you like, to, to 1590. That's a plea summa, and I don't think we need to provide any more evidence. So basically, uh, uh, to summarize what I said, uh, in Rebutal's account, allegedly drawn from a 16th century manuscript, uh, that had been languishing in the Royal Library of Metz. Uh, this manuscript knows the Belmore Street Museum, all these names that I mentioned, uh, Wilson, Andreas, Mortimer, uh, but as I told you, no such museum existed, none of these people existed, all these names appear in only one book, in Sir Arthur Conan Doyle and nowhere else. Um, and so all the evidence is quite obvious. <coughs> this story, Mishpat, which also was passed off as being a writing of the Maral, with almost the exact same title page, published in Pietrkov as the Saving the Flaws Morale. In this case, it's very obvious that we're dealing with a fraud, with a beautiful novel, a historical novel, based on another historical novel written by none other than Conan Doyle himself. This doesn't bode too well for the authenticity of Saving the Flaws Morale. It doesn't disprove the Flaws Morale, but it means we already have to uh, be chakiros before we uh, accept this as, as, as fact. Now, a diehard enthusiast who wants to believe the morale created a golem, it has to be, here it is, and safe in the place morale. So he may well argue, you know, okay, fine, you found weaknesses in the Sefer Cheshon HaMishpat, that's Sefer Cheshon HaMishpat, but Niflos Morale is Niflos Morale, it's a different Sefer. Why should we deny whatever it says in the Sefer and the Flor of Smaral? <coughs> so what I'm going to do now for just a very short time is analyze Sefer and the Flor of Smaral together with you and present you some historical evidence. The Niflos Maral purports to be, as you can tell from the title page, uh, an account of how the Maral created the Golem, and then it's followed with a series of stories about the Golem. Uh, allegedly, it was written by the Maral's son-in-law, Rebitzel Reb Shimshon, who participated in all the events as described. So this is contemporary evidence. This account was discovered in the Royal Library of Metz. A copy was sent to Rebutal, who made great efforts, as he told you, to acquire the copy, and then he, pu- 
he published it. Here's what it says in a nutshell, a two-minute summary of Sefer Niflos Maral. Listen carefully. In the year 1572, and you were in Prague now, so some of this should sound familiar. In the year 1572, the Maral was appointed chief rabbi of Prague. Upon his arrival, he learned that Jews in Prague were repeatedly the victims of blood libel. In order to stave off these accusations and any further accusations, the Maral turned to the head of the Christian community in Prague, that's what it says in the book, Cardinal Johann Sylvester. Cardinal Johann Sylvester. And he offered to debate him about whether or not Jews drink blood and whether they kill Christians and whether they need Christian blood to make matzahs and so on. Terms of the debate were agreed upon. The debate took place over a 30-day period and the Cardinal was very pleased with Maral's defense of Judaism. A copy of the proceedings was sent to the King of Bohemia, the Holy Roman Emperor, Rudolf II. This is all in the year 1572. And the emperor was sufficiently impressed that on Rosh Chodesh Shvat, 1573, Maral was granted a private audience with Rudolf in the Prague Castle, where you are. And Rudolf agreed to pass new legislation which protected the Jews from blood libel. Despite all these impressive achievements, the blood libel continued. And the Maral finally decided in 1580 to create the Golem in order to protect the Jews. So the Golem was created on the 20th of Adar, if you ever asked in the quiz program. <laughs> and the Golem died, was put to death by the Maral, Lagba Omer, 1590. That's it. I gave you in a nutshell uh, uh, what you'll find in Sefer Niflos Maral. It also includes a halachic section which raises such questions as whether a golem counts in a minion. Anybody familiar with the Shavos and Shubas also the Shavos Yavos, this is a famous question, whether or not a golem counts in a minion. I never understood the question. If you come to my shul in New Gardens Hills, you'll see that a golem counts in a minion. Okay. Um, The morale arrived in Prague. We have the record in Sefer Tzemach David, not in 1572, but in 1573. Okay, off by a year. You can't. It's possible the son-in-law didn't quite get it right when his father-in-law came to uh, when he came to uh, Prague. It's off by one year. But then it says that in 1573, uh, the morale had an audience with Rudolf II, Holy Roman Emperor, King of Bohemia. In 1573, Rudolf II, go home and look in your encyclopedia, was not king of Bohemia. He was not Holy Roman Emperor. In 1573, Maximilian II served in both posts. It was only in 1576, after Maximilian died, that he was succeeded by Rudolf, and that would be the first time that the morale would be able to visit Rudolf. As a matter of fact, the morale did meet Rudolf, and he met him in the Prague castle. This is a very famous event, and we have records of it in Sefer Tzemach David. We know the exact date. He only met him one time, and not only do we have the record in Tzemach David, but we have check records of the meeting of the Maral with Rudolf, and it was in 1592. For the son-in-law not to know uh, when the Maral met Rudolf to be such a discrepancy, and by the way, according to the son-in-law, the Golem already was put to death in 1590. So, but he first met with him in 1592. As I say, this is both in the Czech records and in the Hebrew records, Sefer Tzemach David, written by the Talmud of the Maral, who was very proud of the fact that the Maral met with King Rudolf one time, and as I say, he gives the date as 1592.
In Sefer Niflos Maral, in great detail, we're told how the Maral debated Cardinal Johann Sylvester. Since I know there are skeptics here, so I brought with me two lists of all the cardinals of Prague in history. Every cardinal who ever served in Prague. There was never a cardinal in Prague by the name of Johann Sylvester. <laughs> oh, you'd learn me old. Not only wasn't there a cardinal by that name in Prague, there was never a cardinal in the history of cardinals <laughs> by the name of Johann Sylvester. So, it's also Okay, that should suffice. We don't have to examine much more to realize that Sefer Niflos Maral was not written by the son-in-law. Maral had a son-in-law. We know that was another Godel. We have his Aorus on various famous farms that have been published, Perushim Torah on some of the Perushim of the Baleatesis, Sefer Paneach Rosa, if you're familiar with it, a very famous Sefer. There's an addition with the Horus of Rabbi Yitzchak He actually was the son-in-law of the Maral, but he didn't edit this manuscript called Sefer Niflois Maral. That can't be. Sefer Niflois Maral, just like Sefer Choshen Amishpat, is a forgery. It's a late book. We call it a novel, whatever you want to call it, written by none other than Rebuel Rosenberg himself. Now, I have to tell you, this troubled me a great deal, and other other, I'm coming to the defense of Rebuel. <laughs> and I will. And I, troubled me, how could an Adam Godel be a man who writes Svarim, he wrote Shavs and Shubas, by the way, also published. How could a man who wrote all these Svarim, Sifrei Kodesh, and he was a wonderful man, no one in the world who met him ever had any questions about his Chashivas. I don't have the time now, if I would spend more time, I could cite you great G'dayim, who wrote letters to him and referred to him as Arav, Agoyin, Adir, Moreno, Arav, Rabbeinu, Rebuel Rosenberg, and so on. But you'll have to take my word that that exists. Absolutely true. How could such a person publish a Sefer in the year 1909 and call it Sefer in the and pass it off as a historical document and fool the whole world? And he died in 1935. So I was always wondering to myself, what did he say? Did nobody ever ask him? Possible, and by the way, there's no record. We have no no reviews in the newspapers. We have nowhere. And I, I I went searching by his children and by his grandchildren. I went to Montreal to find old Jews, anyone who knew him. Did you ever hear from Rebuttal Rosenberg why he wrote the Sefer? Did he really believe this? What what? Nothing. There's a shred of evidence in the book, to the best of my knowledge. And because there wasn't a shred of evidence in the world, so I went to Montreal and I spent the whole day. And Montreal has something that, by the way, we should also learn from. There was a... Uh, uh, we have any borough parkers here? Anybody from borough park? Yeah. So do you know that in borough park once, there was a wonderful swarm library, a public library? Mm-hmm. It was Abudu Sisra. Abudu ran a library in borough park. Uh, tape, they have tape, not only tapes, but Sfarim, Sifrei Kodesh, a tremendous library of Sifrei Kodesh, which is wonderful. Any Jew could walk in in Brooklyn... You can come and you can borrow a safer. <coughs> it's unbelievable. We don't have that today in Brooklyn. Anyway, in, in the largest Jewish community in the world. In Montreal and Toronto, there are Jewish libraries. <laughs> Jewish public libraries. You go to the library, you can get children's books, you can get Sifre Kodesh, you can fill out a card and take it home. Free libraries. The, the, the Jewish communities of Montreal and Toronto understand the importance of, of a Jewish public library. And in Vilna, there was the Strashun Library. They were all over, great libraries. And, and, and somehow in the great centers today, this is not considered important. I don't know why. Okay. 
Anyway, Montreal is such a library. I went to Montreal. I decided I'm going to check in Montreal. I'll go to the shuls where Rabbi Rosenberg is rabbi. I'll search in basements. Got to be something somewhere, one word that says something about this matter. I found nothing. Then I went to the Jewish library in Montreal. Because they collect, you know, any time a rov dies, you know, they leave their libraries to, 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 if they have children who are not that religious or not interested in the library, they leave it to the nearest public library. so I thought, why not? Sure enough, there were endless libraries. People died and left their, their sarum to the library in Montreal. So I went there. I spent a whole day in the library in Montreal. I searched through all the closets. I searched through all the shelves. I checked with the librarians' records, anything on review. And I found little pamphlets by Ruby Rosenberg, all kinds of interesting things. Not one word about, not one word about safe in the flow surround. Before I left, I went over to the librarian and I asked him, is there anything I missed? What, what didn't I see? He said, what about Frankenstein? What about Frankenstein? There's a Frankenstein. There's a, a Tulsa one going on. Uh, okay, but I'm, I'm interested in Safer and the Flow of Smarrell. Maybe he read that one. He could have. He didn't, all he had to read was, we know what he called it. I've been talking about this other thing. Right, he could have read anything. But the question is, did he write the Flow of Smarrell or not? You know, that was the issue. Or is it a real manuscript from 1590? Or did somebody else write it? And copy it from Frankenstein. Look, it can come from anywhere. You're a children. Um, anyway, um, I asked the librarian, "Is there anything I missed?" He said, "Yeah, there's a basement. You want to go? It's all junk." I said, "Wonderful. I'd like to spend several hours in the basement." <laughs> and I found the treasure. I found Yogatium. Let's see. I found what I want. So I'm holding a book. And I brought it with me. This is very rare. Uh, this is what's called ephemera, and this is you know not really a, a printed book, although it's printed. Uh, this is a gold-covered book. This is a souvenir volume dedicated to Rabbi Yehuda Rosenberg, vice chairman of the Orthodox Rabbis of Montreal on the occasion of the 70th of his 70th anniversary jubilee. When Yehuda Rosenberg turned 70 years old, it was a celebration in Montreal, a big dinner, and at the dinner they gave out a booklet. And I'm holding the booklet in my hand. I found two copies in the basement. They said I could take one. So now I open it up. It's a beautiful picture of Peter Rosenberg. Shana Yid. It's all these. Isaiah Shana Come up there. You can look at it. Not only is it a beautiful picture of Peter Rosenberg, but there are letters from Avram Yitzchak Chaim Cook, from Yosef Chaim Zonenfeld, printed in the Sefer, Divrei Brocha, on his 70th birthday, and so on and so forth. All right, that's not surprising. It's a typical journal that you give out at a shul dinner, uh, you know, the 50th anniversary, 70th anniversary in honor of the rabbi. Except at the beginning of the book, there's a long Yiddish biography of Rebuta Rosenberg, the most detailed biography in existence, which tells you exactly where he was born, and which yeshivas he learned in, etc., and so forth, and who his mother was, and who his father was, and who his Alta Zayda was, etc., and so forth. Only one person in the world could have written this biography of Rebuta Rosenberg, namely Rebuta Rosenberg. It's very obvious. No one else would have the information. Very detailed. And then, at the end of the biography, is a complete list of all the publications of Rebuta Rosenberg. So this Rebuta Rosenberg prepared for the world to see a list of his forum. And he divides his forum into three categories. The first category is Rabbinish forum, rabbinic works, and First one is Yodos Nadarm of Mikve Yehuda, Mikve Sefer Achashmal, 
on electricity. Then there's a second, the largest section of his farm, and the title is Drush Svarim. And that includes a whole series of Svarim and Drushes, the translation of the Zohar, Yalkut Eliyah, Nobi, a long, long list. Drush Svarim. And the third section, the, the Rosh Hashiva will, will know better than me, can tell me what it says. The third section, the other is Drush Svarim, is Rabbinish Svarim, Drush Svarim, and the third section, Folks Literature. Folks literature and the, the first item listed in folks literature, folk literature, Miflos Maral Prague. It's amazing. And, and, and also listed here, Sefer Choshen Amishma. So Rebudel writes that he wrote three different categories of Svarim. He wrote Rabbinish Svarim, which are Emerson Svarim, He wrote Jewish Svarim, which is also Tyra. And then he wrote folks literature. And on this tour, we spoke about it a little bit. If you remember, we were in Mainz. Marcus Lehmann. Marcus Lehmann. Marcus Lehmann tra- knew that there were Jewish children who needed a literature with Jewish values to be written in German. He was dealing with Central Europe, with Germany. And Rebutel Roosevelt wrote for Poland. In Poland, the Yiddishists were writing novels. They were translating all the French novels, a lot of erotic literature and so on. There was no <coughs> Jewish literature. There was nothing for young people to read. So Rebuda Rosenberg wrote folks literature. He wrote stories about the Maharals, Shalom, the stories never occurred, but they were beautiful stories, and the children read them. And he himself, in this Sefer, the only place in all his writings, he tells you that it's folks literature. Adra, to Rebuda Rosenberg, who saw a need and did what had to be done, but unfortunately, the world didn't realize, he, didn't, he, he should have put a stamp on the front page. This is folks' fiction. He didn't do that. He published it just like a real safer. It looked like it looks like a sharblot of any other safer. Uh, the, the rest is history. No, 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 so now I just want to conclude by telling you the following. The hour is late. We'll stop here. If we had to depend only, only on Rebutal Rosenberg, if on this Sefer published in 1909, then I'm afraid the conclusion would be that uh, there's no evidence that the morale created a golem at all. Or if I would actually say, I would say that Mordechai Richler was not the first member of the family to write fiction. <laughs> That's what it looks like. But I have to tell you that you should know, LPMS, that there are earlier sources prior to Rebutal that connect the morale of, Go- of Prague to a Goyim. So Rebutal didn't invent the notion that the morale made a Goyim. Um, the first time in all of literature that there's mention of a Golem connected with morale is in the year 1837, which is long before uh, uh, Rebutal was, was born. So in 1837, you actually find in a magazine published in Paris, of all places, a little story about the morale and the Golem. One famous story, the famous story about Erev Shabbos, why Mizmashili of Shabbos is recited twice, because he once turned the Golem on and he told the Golem to draw water from the well, Erev Shabbos, and he got busy with other matters. 
he forgot to turn the golem off, and everybody was in shul, they were ready to be Mechabal Shabbos, and they said, Mizmur Shili Yom Shabbos, which is a story everybody knows. And they said, and the old people came running, there's a flood, Moral is drawing water, and the water is pouring all over Prague, there's a flood in Prague. And the Moral said, Oy vey, and he ran out, and he turned the golem off, uh, which of course you can't do if you're ready Mechabal Shabbos, but all right, he said, Mizmur Shili so now they came back to shul, and he said, now we'll say Mizmur Shili Yom Shabbos for real. So, <laughs> That was given as a legend to explain why we say Mizmur Shiliyam Shabbos twice. But the Yemen says there's a whole very different reason, but now's not the time to discuss it. But that story is the, is the first story ever told about a Goyalim and Aral. First appears in the year 1837. It's then repeated, gets published every year, and what's amazing is it's not Niflois Maral. That, that one story that the world knew about the Goyalim and Aral, that's not Niflois Maral. Because Rebutal wrote a whole new novel about all the stories that he wanted to write, whatever he wanted to write, that occur nowhere else in all of Jewish little literature, the two barrels and so on. Those of you who are familiar with the story of, uh, of the Maral's Bible. So, uh, did the Maral create a Gaelum? I don't know. I wasn't there. I was not a contemporary of the Maral. The Maral died in 1609. I just told you the first time we find a record of anybody that claims that the Maral made a Golem is in the year 1837. I have to tell you, based on historical method, nobody in the world would accept evidence of 1837 for such a miraculous event to have occurred in uh, 1609. So did the Maral create a Golem? Uh, I'm not sure whether he created a Golem or not. Um, it seems more likely that Rebutal Rosenberg Created a in the sense of all the stories that we know about. He, Rebutal Rosenberg, put the Golem on the map. He didn't invent the Golem. There were stories about the Maral and Golem before Rebutal, but there's no question. The reason everybody in this room knows about it is uh, is because of, is because of uh, Rebutal Rosenberg. All we need to say again, and I mentioned it, I think, at the Kever. I'm going to mention it again. It's, Many great Gedolim said this in the past, and that is, what a waste and what a shame that people come from all over the world to practice and learn about the morale and the Golem uh, when they're missing the point entirely. Uh, the greatness of the morale is not that they created a Golem. As I said, the greatness of the morale is that created Golem, Dole Torah. He taught Torah to many. He created a Tesis Yantav. Uh, he created Kliyakar. Uh, and many others, those aren't the only famous Kedolim that they created, the Tzemach Rabbit was of course also his Talmud. Um, that's the greatness of the Ra'al, not that it created the Ra'al. Well, I kept you up late enough. Yeah. I thank you very much. Really? You're kidding? You're not